Last week we were in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Uh, last week uh, we titled it Walking in Wisdom or Walk in Wisdom. Um, and we started off uh, just by just kind of recapping the four themes that we've been going through throughout the book of Colossians again and again. Uh, the book of Colossians, uh, you know, some of the themes that Paul has been uh, repeating again and again is one, who is God? Two, what is the church? What is God's view of the church? Three, what is this gospel message that saves and satisfies us? And then in four, finally, in light of the first three themes, what then is our proper response? What then is this new life in Christ supposed to, supposed to look like? Uh, and we've been saying that our proper response, um, this new life in Christ, is not limited to a small part of our lives. Right? That there is no part of our life that the gospel message doesn't touch. Uh, that we aren't called to, uh, to, to be Christian, so to speak. We aren't called to live out this new life in Christ uh, in, in just you know, one little area, you know, just on Sunday services or during Wednesday night or you know, by ourselves at home, that when we come to know who Christ is, when we come to grow in our relationship with Christ, this message of who Christ is and what it is that he has done for us affects every part of our life, not just a small part of our life. And we've been seeing that throughout this book of Colossians, right? Paul talks about uh, this new life with believers, this new life in the church, bearing with one another in love, forgiving each other. Paul talks about what does life at home look like now that we know Christ and now that we're growing in our relationship with Christ. Uh, speaking of um, husbands and wives, parents and children, Paul talks about life you know, at work, that we aren't working, uh, you know, unto earthly masters, but unto as if, you know, Christ is our master, because Christ is our master. And so Paul is revealing to us that this new life in Christ, again, is not limited to just one part of our life, but to, it's supposed to affect every part of our life. Here in verses 5 and 6, uh, which we covered last week, uh, Paul brings up kind of an interesting, I guess, subject. Okay, so there's this life with Christ that's being, uh, or this, this gospel message that's affecting every part of our life. Now, what about our life with those who don't believe, with those who don't know Christ? What does life now look like with, with unbelievers? How are we supposed to, to live with unbelievers? Uh, you know, we hear, uh, sometimes in the Bible, we hear things like bad company corrupts good character, or bad company corrupts good morals. But on the other hand, Jesus is being called the friend of sinners and the friend of tax collectors uh, because he ate and he fellowshiped with them. So which is it? You know, is it supposed to be one? Is it supposed to be the other? Obviously, uh, there are some, there are just going to be some people that maybe you shouldn't spend a whole great deal of time with. But also at the same time, uh, it's not practical, nor is it biblical, to just avoid all unbelievers. That is not what we are called to do. It's not as if the moment, you know, we get saved, that Christ just immediately takes us out of the picture uh, and says, well, you know, you, you've done your job and that's it. You, you got saved and you've, you've reached the end. You've made, you know, you, you, you hit the goal and you're out of the picture. So then there's no such thing as life with unbelievers. That, that's, not, that's not true. Again, it's not practical, nor is it, is it biblical. Um, so then how are we supposed to know what to do? What then is our proper response uh, in light of who God is, in light of his view of the church, in light of, uh, you know, this gospel message that has saved us? How then are we supposed to respond, uh, you know, with life with, uh, with those who don't know Christ yet? Paul says in verse 5 uh, that we are to be wise or to walk in wisdom. Right. And so to kind of understand what that means, um, that's what we're going to talk more about today, but to kind of set us up for today, uh, we looked at wisdom. What is wisdom? What does the Bible say about wisdom? Uh, one, we defined it just simply as this, as the fear of the Lord. Wisdom being the fear of the Lord. Uh, when we begin to think of the presence of God, when we begin to think of and recognize his absolute power, his holiness, his perfection, 
his greatness, his wisdom, his love, his justice, his mercy. When we begin to think of this is who God is, we begin to have this reverence, we begin to have this awe, we begin to have this sense of just how big he is and just how small we are. We begin to have this, this idea, this, this sensation of this person, this being really is God and I really am not. That acknowledgement, that reverence, that fear, that is where wisdom begins. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we begin to acknowledge God for who He really is, when we begin to have a reverence for God that says, like, This is who God really is, the Bible tells us this is where wisdom is birthed. This is where wisdom comes from. So we defined wisdom as that, as the fear of the Lord. And then we looked at just a few characteristics of this wisdom, according to Proverbs chapter 8 and 9, uh, specifically chapter 8. Uh, we said, One, wisdom is humbling. That those who seek God's wisdom, there's something humble there because you're recognizing your need for it. You're recognizing your lack of it. And that, that requires some humility. That requires to say, you know what, God? Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I need your wisdom. Wisdom is calling out, you know, as we read in chapter 8, uh, those who, who hate me hate life. Those who, who hate me want to go their own way. Those who hate me want to do their own thing, right? When we don't want godly wisdom, when we, when we hear godly wisdom and we choose to go our own way, that's what we're saying really to God is, my way is better than your way. Like, I got it all together. I know what I'm doing. You don't. That's pride. But wisdom, godly wisdom, there's something humbling about that to say, you know what, God? I actually recognize I'm not God. You are, and I need your wisdom. We also said uh, that wisdom is valuable, that many of the Proverbs talk about just how much more valuable wisdom is than you know, gold and silver and all the precious stones and this, that, and the other. That wisdom is precious, wisdom is valuable. That with whatever you have, with whatever you have, like uh, with all that you have, excuse me, uh, that the Bible calls us to get wisdom. The Proverbs keep saying that, get wisdom. With all that you have, get wisdom. Gain understanding. Get the wisdom of God. How can God's wisdom be valuable? We said that, one, because it's eternal. One of the reasons why God's wisdom is so valuable is because it's eternal. You know, there's, there's great value in learning from those who have kind of been there, done that. But what about a wisdom that's always been there? What about gaining from a wisdom that's always been there, that's been able to stand the test of time, that's been able to, to go through any season, any era, any new fad, any whatever it is, God's wisdom has always stood firm. How do you quantify the value of something that, that's eternal, a, a wisdom that's eternal? God's wisdom is also life-giving, which is why it's so valuable. Again, uh, wisdom, when, uh, wisdom is personified in, in Proverbs chapter 8 as this woman who is calling out. And she says, those who love me love life. Those who hate me hate themselves. They, 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 do, they do harm to themselves and they love death. Wisdom is life-giving. And the wisdom of God will always point back to its source, God. And isn't Christ the way, the truth, and the life? So those who love godly wisdom love life, but those who hate godly wisdom don't love life. Love death. And so God's wisdom is valuable because it's eternal. God's wisdom is valuable because it's life-giving. And finally, we said that uh, this wisdom is available. That again, wisdom is calling out. We said, uh, according to Proverbs chapter 8, there's this uh, uh, wisdom is personified standing in the marketplace at the high point of the marketplace. The marketplace being where all the action is happening, where all the business is happening, where all the courts are taking place, where people are coming in and out of the city. And wisdom is calling out, I'm, I'm here for you. I take what I have available. I want to give this to you. 
She's calling out to all, and anyone who would respond can have what she has to give. So she's calling out to everyone, here is wisdom, here is wisdom. Take what I have, take what I have, take what I have. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Ask. And God who gives generously and without finding fault will give it to you. And so this godly wisdom that, that comes with this, this sense of humility, this godly wisdom that is valuable, this godly wisdom that is life-giving, this godly wisdom that is eternal, it is available to us. It is available. And so then now with kind of that basic foundation that we set up last week, today then we're going to look at, so Paul's call uh, to be wise, Paul's call to walk in wisdom uh, with those who don't know Christ yet. So we'll reread uh, Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Again, it says, be wise, or some of your translations might say, walk in wisdom in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's going to be four things that we're going to look at today in answering this question, what does walking in wisdom uh, in the way that we act towards outsiders look like, practically speaking? What does that, what does that look like? What, what is it that Paul uh, could have meant by that? So four things we're going to look at. So number one, Paul says uh, in, this, in this walk of wisdom, walking in wisdom in the way that we act towards outsiders, the first thing that we notice that Paul says, what that actually looks like, is to make the most of every opportunity. Paul says make the most of every opportunity. Uh, in the original Greek, it says to redeem the time. To redeem the time. So some of your translations might say redeem the time. Others might say make the most of every opportunity. So what does that mean? To redeem. To redeem means to, to buy up, to ransom, to rescue from loss. It can mean to, to take full advantage of, to seize a buying opportunity. You want to think of it uh, in this way. Some people will think of it in this way. You're making the most of a present opportunity. You're making the most of a present opportunity because you recognize its future gain. You're making the most of a present opportunity because you recognize its future potential. That's to redeem. You're buying up, you're ransoming, you're rescuing from loss, you're taking full advantage of, you're seizing up some kind of buying opportunity. And Paul says, redeem. Redeem what? The time. In the Greek, there's also two main words. If you guys were here when, um, uh, when Joye was here, uh, this, is what, this is exactly what he's talking about. Two forms of time that the Bible usually refers to. Chronos time, kairos time. Chronos time, uh, that's exactly what you think of when you hear 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, January, February, March, you know, some kind of sequence, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, think of chronos chronological. That's where we get that word. So just basic, if I say what time is it and you say 7.35, if you say that, uh, then that's the time that you're thinking of, right? That's the, that's the chronos time that you're thinking of. The Bible also has another word for time, kairos time. That's not that. That's something different, right? So chronos is more quantitative, kairos qualitative. This is speaking to an appointed time, an appointed season. This is what you're thinking of when, you, you know, when things are kind of all culminating together to a specific moment that requires some kind of action. Like if somebody says, I'll give you an example. 
let's, let's take a musician, for example. A musician who's been working hard, a musician who's been putting in, you know, they've been recording and they've been, they've been, you know, traveling and they've been putting their music out there and all of a sudden, like, it's all coming to this moment, like their big breakthrough is coming. This is my time. This is my season. That's Kairos. You see the difference? This is not like talking about, like, you know, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of time. This is my season. This is an appointed season and an opportune season, an opportune time. This is the time that Paul is talking about when he says, redeem the time, buy back this time. This is an opportune season. The Bible talks about, <clears throat> talks about this kind of time all the time. When Christ first came, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. The season has come. The moment has come. This opportune time has come. He's not talking about a specific date. That's, you know, he's talking about this is the season of salvation. This is the season of Christ to come to make himself known. Everything else in the Old Testament had been fulfilled. Now is the opportune time for Christ to come. And Christ says, this is that time. This is that moment. The Bible speaks of that as that time. There's also when Christ shall return. There's an opportune time for that. There's an opportune season for that. When everything has been fulfilled, Christ will come on that appointed day, on that appointed time. And Paul says, this is the kind of time that we ought to redeem, that we're supposed to make the most of. We are in this season now. We are in this moment now. We are in this time now. Paul says, make the most of it. How can we redeem the time? How can we make the most of it? First is to recognize the season that we're in. That this is an opportune time. That this is the season that we're in. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Same word time. This season is now. That time is now. The day of salvation is now. The day to repent and believe the good news, as Christ says, is now. This is the season of, God's, of God revealing himself. This is the season where, like, there will be a day when judgment comes. And that's it. It's final. Paul is letting the church know. And that's what we're reading now. This is that season now. Judgment day is not here yet, but it's coming. So this is an opportune season. This is an opportune time to repent and to believe and to know Christ now. So Paul says, one, how, if we're talking about how can we redeem the time, Paul says, one, recognize the season that we're in. Know it. Know that this is that season. And two, take advantage of it. Take full advantage of it. Again, when we think of the four themes that we've been going through again and again and again, who is God? What is the church? What is God's view of the church? What is this gospel message that saves us and satisfies us? Number four, what then is our proper response to those, to those three? What is our proper response to, to this call? What is this, our proper response when, when, you know, Paul is telling us to redeem the time. That's, that's part of our proper response. Another part of our proper response to who God is and what it is that he's done for us in this gospel message and how he views this church is we begin to work out the implications of what God is calling us to do in his word. It causes us to think. It forces us to think. 
That is part of your proper response when you hear this is who God is, when you hear this is how he views you, when you hear this is the gospel message that saves you and satisfies you, part of our proper response is begin to work out how does that play out in my life? How does that play out at work? How does that play out at school? How does that play out at home? How does that play out wherever it is that God has placed me? How am I to redeem the time there? How am I to make the most of every opportunity there? We begin to think about that. It forces us to think, have I been making the most of every opportunity that God has, has given me where I am at? Here's an example of, of a failure on my part. Pre-COVID, uh, I used to go to Starbucks every day, almost every day, at least six days a week. That's where I'd lo- I would love to get my work done there. I hated you know, doing work at home, so I lo- always take my work to, to the Starbucks. And so being there so often and being there for hours at a time, you, start, you, like, you, you know all the baristas, the baristas know you. Uh, you also start to get to know and like, you know, at least recognize uh, a lot of the other regulars, you know, people who are always there. Uh, just as often, if not even more often, than, than you are. And there was uh, one particular guy that I would see there almost every day, an older guy who just who would always be there by himself. He's just sitting there, grab his coffee, and then, you know, so on and so forth. Never really spoke, you know, until, apart from just like a little, like, oh, hey, good to see you again, you know, whatever kind of thing. Never spoke to him. And this was like, you know, um, not like, you know, for a month or two that I was doing this. I was there for, I'm not even going to say for how long because it's kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> I was there for a long, you know, for an extended period of time that I was doing this. And so I would always see this guy, always see this guy there. And there was one particular night where I had, I had been there for a very long time. My brain was fried. Uh, you know, I had been reading, I'd been studying, I'd been preparing. And so I'm packing up, put everything into my backpack. And literally as I'm walking out the door, I felt the Lord speak to me very clearly. And he said, go tell that person that I love him. Go tell him that I love him. And I make every excuse in the book. I'm like already walking to the car. I'm like, Lord, it's, they're about to close. I'm tired. I have been here for God knows how many hours. I am exhausted and this, that, and the other. And if I talk to him, then it's going to open up like a whole can of worms. And then I know it's just going to be like a six-hour conversation. I just don't want to do it. Like I'm making every excuse in the book. Every excuse in the book. And finally, I come to this conclusion. I'll see him tomorrow. I see him all the time. If I, don't, if I don't see him tomorrow, I'll see him the next day. Because I have seen it. I, 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 I don't know this guy, but I know he's going to be there. Because he's always there. Guess who I never saw again? Never saw him again. I told the Lord, I was like, I'll see him tomorrow. I, I rationalized it away. I, I, I explained it away. I was like, you know what, Lord, I'll, just, I'll, 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 just, I'll talk to him later. I'll talk to him tomorrow. Never saw him again. No idea what happened to him. Maybe he's okay, maybe, I, I literally don't know. But I did not make the most of that opportunity. I heard the Lord clearly, tell him that I love him. And I, I, I gave every excuse in the book. Lord, I'm tired, I've been here all day, this, that, and the other. It's probably going to turn into a very long conversation. It might have been and it might not have been, but it doesn't matter. I didn't make the most of every opportunity. And literally, I have never seen him again. Paul says, redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity. When you're thinking about walking in wisdom towards those who do not have, towards those who are outside, to those who don't know Christ, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of it. In the way that you think, in the way that you act, in the way that you live, 
Make the most of it. Why? Because now is the season. Now is the opportune time. Now is the day for salvation. This is the season that we're in. So Paul says, redeem the time. Make the most of it. If you want to be wise in the way that you are acting towards outsiders, make the most of the opportunity that you're in. Number two. Paul says, let your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Again, when we're thinking of being wise or walking in wisdom towards those who are uh, without, towards those who don't know Christ, Paul says, let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Full of grace. Now, um, does this mean, you know, when we're thinking of making the most of every opportunity, when we're thinking of all of our conversations being full of grace, does this mean that each of us is going to be required to stand on the street corner, you know, with the megahorn uh, and just yelling about God's grace? You know, speaking of the unmerited favor of God 24-7. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But there, there is a time for that. There is a time to share the gospel. There is a time to speak specifically of the grace of God, to speak of this is the message of Christ. There is a time for that. But I, I'm not sure if that's what Paul means when he says, let your conversations be full of grace. Not all of your conversations need to be about grace, but all of your conversations should be had with grace. There's a difference. All of your conversations should be had with grace. I can be gracious, regardless of the topic that, I'm, that we're talking about. I can be gracious. I can be courteous. Right? I, can, I can be um, you know, uh, someone pleasant to talk to. And especially when you are speaking you know, or, or in, in, in living with or, or living amongst those who don't know Christ, let your conversations be full of that kind of grace regardless of what the subject is. If it is about the gospel, let it be, of course. And look for ways, pray for ways, Lord, open that door for me. But, you know, imagine, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're at work, for example, if you're at work, and we're talking about you, yeah, you're going to be working at a hospital soon, you work at a hospital now, like imagine if, you know, somebody comes in and is just like, hey, did you check on that patient? Did you do this? And, you know, the grace of God is just so good. And yeah, amen to that. But there's a time for that. No, 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 I'm asking you did, you, did you make sure that that patient was okay? You know, they needed this medication, this, that, and the other. And, you know, when, when Christ came down, there's a time for that. There is. So it's, I don't think it's all of your conversations have to be about grace, but all of our conversations should be had with grace. So I can be courteous, I can be gracious, I can be understanding, I can be listening, you know, someone who's attentive, I can be compassionate. All of our conversations should be full of grace. Paul also said, you know, go back on that. You know, if, I'm, if I am proclaiming Christ and I, and I claim to know Christ, but my attitude is always just abrasive, always angry, always bitter, always like, is there anything about how I sound like attractive, you know, to pulling people towards Christ, pointing people towards Christ? No. So all of our conversations, again, not necessarily about grace, but with, with grace. Paul, again, also says, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. Right. Uh, what is salt? Right. We, we, we all know it, but now go back to biblical times. Uh, we all learned this what, in like fifth grade social studies. There was no refrigerators back then, so what did they use to preserve their food? Salt. Salt was a preserver. Salt was useful. Salt was also added to foods to make it taste better. To make food more pleasant. So, 
Let your conversations be seasoned with salt. Make your conversations useful. Make your conversations tasteful. What you talk about matters. Again, it doesn't necessarily always have to be about the grace of God. It can be about any subject, but make your conversation, whether politics or sports or this, that, whatever it might be, your conversation can still be useful. Your conversation can still be tasteful. There was, I remember one particular time we were at this, uh, we were at a restaurant. There was four of us there. And two, there were two guys there who just loved, there's something that they always did. They would always go back and forth, uh, just like debating. And, and, you know, it didn't matter what the subject was. They were always debating. And this happened to be one, like uh, some kind of theological debate. They were, I don't know, I don't remember what the argument was, but either way, they're debating, they're going back and forth. And they're, if you don't know them, like, you would think that they really hated each other. You would think that they were really, like, angry at each other. They're not. That's just how they, they literally always spoke to each other like that, and they would walk away just perfectly fine. Now, that might be okay, maybe okay, if they were by themselves, no one else around. We happen to be sitting in a very crowded restaurant. And so there's four of us sitting at the table. They're getting louder and louder. They're arguing about something that literally has very little, you know, eternal consequence. This is, you know, it's like, yes, is obviously, let me preface that by saying, yes, the word of God is important. Was it like a salvation issue that they were debating? No, it wasn't. And so they're going back and forth. They're going back and forth, arguing, 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 this, that, and the other. And then, you know, uh, one of them looks at the other two, like myself and the other person that was there. They're like, well, what do you think? Who do you think is right? And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not in this. Like, just leave me alone. I shut down so long ago. I was irritated just by the conversation. I just shut down. The other person that was sitting there was just like, here's, I'll tell you exactly what I think about this. The people behind you have been staring at us for God knows how long. Those people over there have been watching us. How many of the people around us have been hearing us? How many of them do you think know Christ? We don't know. But if this was the only Christ that they heard, this conversation has been absolutely useless. This does nothing to point them to Christ. That was not a conversation seasoned with salt and full of grace. That was just a heated debate about, I couldn't even tell you what it was. And especially if we're in a crowded place like that, the odds are we were surrounded by those who are without, those who don't know Christ. And if that's the only Christ that they heard, we failed. That's it. Paul says, let your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Let your conversations be useful. Be mindful of what it is that's coming out of your mouth. It, it, again, it forces you to think. It forces you to like, I don't know if this is actually very useful right now. I don't know if this is actually very tasteful right now. Don't know, especially like, you know, unsure of who might be listening to what I'm saying. Maybe that's not what I need to be talking about. So Paul says, let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Number three. Again, when thinking of, you know, walking in wisdom, uh, in how we act towards those who don't know Christ, Paul says, know how to answer everyone. Know how to answer everyone. Uh, This is a verse, if you don't know it uh, already, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to know it. Uh, that goes along with what Paul is talking about here, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. If you don't know it, write it down, memorize it, know it. 
It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So first, there's that reverence. There's that reverence for God. Revere Christ as Lord. There's that acknowledgement of God. There's that fear of God. Revere Christ as Lord. Know Christ to be God. Know Christ to be Lord. Know Christ to be King. Revere him as such. Respect him as such. Fear him as such. Know him and acknowledge him as such. And Peter goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared. He then goes on to say, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. But the main part there, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason that you have. What is this hope that you have? Paul says it, Peter says it, always be prepared to give an answer. That forces us to ask a question. Do you know the reason? Do you know the reasons for the hope that you have in Christ? Do you know that for yourself? Someone says, why are you a Christian? You see what's going on in this world? Christians are so this. They're so close-minded. They're so, you know, old-fashioned. They're so this, they're so that. Why would you ever follow this? Why do you have reasons for the hope that you have? Do you know those reasons for yourself? Can you communicate that hope in a way that's clear? It wasn't just for the Pauls and the Peters to know the hope that they had. It wasn't just for the Pauls and the Peters to to be able to communicate the hope that they had. Paul was writing to the church. Give an answer. Peter was writing to the church. Always be prepared to give an answer. So we are all called to know the hope, to know the reasons for the hope that we have in Christ, and we are all called to be able to communicate it in a way that makes sense. It's not just the Pauls and the Peters. right? Paul was praying, remember when in our study uh, from the verses earlier, Paul prays in verse 3, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul was saying, pray for me. I I need to proclaim this gospel, this mystery of Christ clearly. But then he follows that up in verse 6. You also have to be able to answer everyone. It's not just Paul. It's not just me, he says. It's all of us. So that requires that we know the reasons for the hope that we have in Christ. And it requires us, Lord, I need to be able to say this. If someone asks me, if I'm in that conversation, if I'm just, you know, find myself in that situation, Lord, I I need to be able to communicate that. I need to be able to say, this is the reason why. This is the hope that I have in Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 1, talks about faith. It says, faith is what? The confidence. There's confidence. I, I don't just have this hope that Christ is you know, uh, uh, is who he says he is. I don't just have this hope that Christ rose from the dead. I have confidence in that hope. It's evidence of things unseen. I have evidence that this happened. I believe that this happened, not just blindly, but there is evidence here. Do I have that hope? Do I have that confidence in that hope? So the Bible is calling us to something big. We need to know this. 
been saying again and again in, in Paul's letters. He says, I pray that you would know him. That you would have, that, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. To experientially know him. That we are not called to just know a few facts about him. That we are called to know him experientially. We are called to know him relationally. We are called to grow in that relationship. Like any relationship that we would have here. Any good one. You're going to grow in that. You're going to grow in your knowledge of each other. But it's not just enough to say, okay, you know, Naz, I know Naz likes the Phoenix Suns, and I also like the Phoenix Suns, and so that's enough. Uh, uh, that's all I need to know about Naz, and now I know Naz completely. No. I can know a few facts about him, but that wouldn't mean that I actually know him. But if we begin to do life together, if we begin to walk together, we begin to grow in our relationship together. Christ says, this is how we're supposed to live with him. Paul says, this is what I'm praying for, for you. I pray that you would know him better. And as you do get to know him better, we're able to give a reason for the hope that we have in him. Oh, I know Christ to be good. I know Christ to be loving. I know Christ to be forgiving. And I know Christ is coming. When I know him more, I'm able to give reason for the hope that I have. So that requires that I know him, that I get to know him, that I grow in my relationship with him. That means I got to spend time in the word. That means I need to spend time in prayer. That means I need to, to begin, as we were talking about last week, there's a, a humility that comes with wisdom. Lord, if you are asking me to not only know you, an infinite God, with this tiny, insignificant little brain, you're not only asking me to know you, to grow in my relationship with you, but now to be able to communicate in a way that makes sense to others. I need your wisdom. I need your help. This isn't not by, not by might nor by power, but Father, by your spirit. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And thankfully, as we learned last week, this wisdom is available to us. That this God has not left us nor forsaken us. That this is a God who is close. This is a God who speaks. Again, the more I get to know him, the more I'm going to be confident in sharing the more I'm going to be confident in giving reason for the hope that I have. So Paul says, know how to answer everyone. Peter says, be prepared to give an answer. That is part of the way that we are to walk in wisdom towards those who don't have, towards those who don't know Christ. And finally, number four. How can we walk in wisdom uh, towards those who don't know Christ? Acknowledge God. That's what we've been saying this whole time. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledging His presence, having that reverence for Him, having that, that, that fear of the Lord, that's where wisdom is birthed. And if Paul is saying, walk in wisdom in the way that you act towards towards those who don't know Christ. To walk in wisdom is to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Have a reverence for Him. Know that He is with you. Know that He is here right now. Lord, I just acknowledge Your presence. I know that You're here. You, the King of kings, You, the Lord of lords, You are right here. That by Your Spirit, You live in me. You're right here. So I acknowledge Your presence. When I acknowledge his presence, that's going to, that's gonna, again, it forces me to think, how can I make the most of this time? Because God, I know that you're right here with me. 
When I acknowledge his presence, that's going to make me, you know, like I'm going to recognize, Lord, your spirit of wisdom is within me. Help me to answer this question. Help me to give reason for the hope that I have. Help me to remember all that it is that you have done for me that I may give reason to this person who's asking me. When I begin to, to acknowledge his presence, I begin to be a little bit more mindful of what it is that I'm talking about. I, I, I want my conversations to be more you know, full of grace, seasoned with salt, more useful, more tasteful. When I fear God, when I have a reverence for him, when I understand that this God is with me right here and right now, Paul says that right there, you begin to walk in wisdom towards those who don't have. You begin to see them just as, you, as, as God saw you. You were lost. You were without hope. You were far from God. You were in that exact same position that they were. And in the same way that God sees them, you begin to see them. Does that make sense? We're going to take a few minutes to pray. Because this is, a, I think, a, a heavier subject. But I don't want this to be discouraging, uh, convicting, hopefully, but not discouraging. Um, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. That's, that's, that's clear. We know that. We didn't need to hear this message to know that we've all fallen short. Thankfully, we have God's forgiveness. Thankfully, we have God's grace. That same grace that does forgive us is also the same grace that empowers us to live out the way that God has called us to live out. Right? That God's grace in our life isn't just to forgive us, but you know, it's when we begin to know, just man, I have been forgiven of all of these things. It's, again, it begins to now empower me to do what God has called me to do. The righteousness that Christ has already given me, that right standing with God that he has already given me, I am now empowered to actually live out by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so now, for tonight, this is what we're praying for. Lord, you have placed your spirit in me. A spirit not of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And Lord, the, uh, the spirit of wisdom is within me. Your word is alive and active. It is in me. So Lord, I, I pray, help me to understand the season that I'm in. Help us all to understand the season that we're in. Help us all to understand that this is an opportune time. That, Lord, you are making yourself known and you are using the church to do so. You are using me to do so. I may not be the pastor. I may not be the this. I may not be the worship leader or the Bible study leader and this, that, and the other. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. I can't really speak that well. I, I don't really have the words yet or I don't know this. You know how many people said that in the Bible? It doesn't matter. Can't use that excuse. We've all been called to know the hope that we have. We've all been called. Just think of it this way. Then we'll get into prayer. You are called to know the one who loves you more than anyone else. The one who sacrificed for you more than anyone else. It's not even close. You're called to grow in your relationship with him. That's the call. You're called to know him. The more you know him, the more you see him rightly, the more you, you, you really see him for who he really is, oh, the, the, the rest will follow. The rest will come. So now what we're praying for is, Lord, help me to see you so clearly and so rightly that I won't ignore the season that we're in, that I can't ignore the season that I'm in, 
that I can't ignore those who are around me who don't know you, that I can't ignore this, this call that you have placed. I can't ignore the hope that you have placed within me. Lord, I pray that I see you so clearly, so clearly, that I just, I, I can't ignore you. I can, I can no longer afford to ignore you. So we're going to take a few minutes, a little extended time to pray. Ask God to reveal himself even more. Ask God to comfort, to convict, and to now really to speak to and through each and every one of us. Mm-hmm.